Cooking is all about repetition and repetition lets you um, develop your skills. The first time you make puff pastry, it's not going to be the world's best puff pastry, you can be sure. So you've just got to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it until you get familiar with it. So you've got to be um, prepared to put in all that work and then, um, you know, then refinement will come into your cooking and your skills and then you can bounce on from there. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Celebrity chefs have become the marketing cliche of the modern food landscape, fueled by the media, taken on the chin by the industry and used by establishments to draw in new custom to. But one doesn't need to be a celebrity chef to be one of great influence. There are some that have transformed the way we eat down under by avoiding the spotlight, preferring to ply their craft and help mentor future generations. Peter Doyle is one of Australia's most influential chefs and the apprentice head chef of Maryvale. Peter, how you going? Oh, hi, Anthony. Very well, thank you. Nice intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Your, well, your influence is incredible, but you've never really been one to step into the spotlight and absorb all of that in the media. Um, but you've also found it hard to avoid in some instances. Well, why, why is that? Um, I'm not sure. I guess I'm just basically a little bit shy and uh, sort of, um, I'm not really sure really. I mean, you have to do a little bit to uh, promote your career and your restaurants. And um, the only reason you're doing promotion basically is to try and ensure that your restaurant's full every day, every lunch and every dinner. Um, so other over and above that, there's no really, I didn't really ever see any need to, um, promote myself as such just for the glory of it so to speak well you, you haven't really needed to because your influence has been incredible and the chefs that have come through the establishments that you've run have gone on to do incredible things but take us back to when you were young why, why did you go for a, a career in, in hospitality um it was just sort of a last minute decision um I left school and I was working in the public service in the land tax department and not enjoying it. And so, yeah, well, I had, like most people or a lot of people, I guess, when you leave school, you have no idea what you really want to do. And um, then after about 12, 15 months, I realised I didn't want to do that. And um, my, bro <laughs> my brother Greg was already a chef, so he, he, he knew that he wanted to do that as soon as he left school. So he'd already been doing it for um, a couple of years. And I just thought, okay, well, I'll give this a go too. And um, I just loved it from the beginning. So it worked out really well. It was a good decision in the end. You you won Apprentice of the Year. You started off with, with a bang. What was it like those first couple of years? What were the real important moments for you when you were starting off? Um, I think probably, I mean, I, like literally I went in completely raw. I had no idea. I mean, I knew, I, I, thought, I thought about it and I thought, okay, I can probably do this, but... Um, I mean, I knew what nice food was and I was into good fruit and vegetables and healthy food and all that type of thing, but I'd never really thought about what it would be like to be in a restaurant kitchen as such. And um, it was just, a, I started at the Argyle Tavern and it was just a really good atmosphere in the kitchen. It was only a small crew, but um, it was made very clear very quickly that you came to work and you got you stuck your head down and you got on with it and you worked your butt off all day. And so, um, and... You know, there was a bit of teaching as well and things like that. And then I moved on to Macquarie Inn and 
completed my apprenticeship with a chef called Peter Bimrose who was from England and he was just a really good technician and so he taught me a lot of the basics of cooking um, and he was sort of into technique I guess in those days so um, that was an important period and I came out of my apprenticeship um, sort of you know wanting to uh, continue in the career. But also a really important point, I mean, getting back to the point, uh, a really important part of that apprenticeship was the uh, transformation and the impact of Nouvelle Cuisine um, on like around the mid-70s, which was unbelievable from my point of view because I'd sort of started cooking in the oysters, Kilpatrick, prawn cocktail, pepper steak, um, you know, and nothing had changed. Like every restaurant menu, every restaurant menu in Sydney basically had the same things on it. And then all of a sudden, there was like a lightning bolt from um, overseas, and um, so that was really interesting. And so I ran with that influence, I guess. It was a really um, pivotal moment in Australia's culinary history, that, that sort of decade. What was a real standout sort of moments for you and, and, and figures that were part of that sort of change? Well, all, all the brigade, all the Bocuse Brigade, basically all the three-star chefs who were up and rising in France. But the mate, they were incredibly influential and um, made you realise that you had to start all over again and um, even though you'd completed your apprenticeship, you haven't really learnt any of the necessary basics to transform or as a platform for the rest of your career. So you had to go back to basics and learn all that. But the other really important point was the produce that they were using. And um, so then there was we realised we didn't really have any produce, like it was really basic. And um, so then we started looking around or, uh, you know, there was other guys involved in my year, of course, and uh, we're a bit of a, a group of our own and we're all sort of friendly and started communicating and realised we needed um, this produce. And so there was a bit of demand. And so produce was a really important step that allowed us to progress everything. You, you've uh, had a, a, some amazing restaurants through your career. Um, early on, though, Reflections became one of the first Hatted uh, restaurants. T- tell us about the beginnings of, of that. That was your debut restaurant. What, what was it like at that time as well? Uh, well, it was uh, pretty incredible. I mean, we, we did have a little restaurant in the Castlereagh Hotel where we did 25 people for lunch every day, and that was our force, first sort of step into uh, – business as such but then we were living at palm beach and we thought well let's try and do a restaurant up there and we won't have to um travel into town every day uh, it was a little <laughs> bit uh <laughs> we didn't realize at the time that uh, palm beach was very seasonal even though we live there but anyway and there was a there was a rundown dilapidated cottage on a couple of blocks of ground in uh on the main road in palm beach and foolishly we thought well let's try and convert that and so you just go with your um I mean it must have been a dream obviously (laughs) so you just do that and fortunately it worked out it was good it was a great time tell us is there any dishes you can um tell us about that you remember from that time that really stood out that sort of epitomizes how you were cooking them um well I mean at that time we were as I said earlier we were learning and so um all the books from Bocuse and Michel Garrard and Verger and the Twagro brothers and Georges Blanc and all that crew um, were coming out and um, nearly all of them were in French so you had to learn how to read them in French but that was fine 
And um, so that that was like that was our they were they were our Bibles really or our big influences. And so because there wasn't anyone to teach you all this thing in Australia because no one had done it before. And so um, it was all like. So there, you know, the uh, magic mix had been invented, and so um, you know, mousses were on in season, and um, just sorbets, ice creams. No one had ever made their own ice creams and sorbets before. All those basics, or you know, you had to make your own puff pastry or your pastries, all that type of thing, um, because you couldn't go and source it anyway. And just like yeah, you know, just the herbs, you had to grow your own chervil and parsley out the back, all that type of thing. <laughs> so it was pretty basic, but I mean, it was. It was really invigorating and exciting at the same time. You, you've had a couple of restaurants in the period after that. Can you, can you tell us about, um, take us through a journey of those and, and how you evolved and changed as a chef? Um, yeah, well, we, you know, we did our five years at um, Palm Beach and then we decided we, um, it was a little bit seasonal and really busy on the weekends, but during the week in winter we were a little bit slow and you couldn't really do anything about that. Um, so we thought we'd move to the city and um, the Trianon uh, became available as a building for some reason. And it had been a very famous restaurant in the 60s and um, 70s in Sydney. And we just thought that would be a good idea, um, but we sort of overcapitalized there. <laughs> But we were at that site for 13 years and then that particular site um, had an evolution from Trianon, um, which we opened about two months before the um, big uh, recession hit in 1987. And so that knocked us about a little bit, but then we opened Cicada and um, we had a much more Sydney type of restaurant then. Trianon, we'd gone from having a really sort of um, contemporary type of restaurant at Reflections, and then for some reason we went back into the old style of fine dining, which was a bit of a mistake. And then we changed again and opened Cicada, which was much more contemporary again, and allowed us um, a little bit more freedom in the cooking style of cooking. Tell us about that freedom in cooking. What's some of the um, signature dishes that um, really um, stand out from that period? Yeah, I'm not very good at naming things, am I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. As I've said before, the most exciting thing about being involved in um, cooking and the uh, restaurant industry is that it's constantly evolving. And... Um, <clears throat> So if you're really interested in it in it, and you're sort of supposed to be a little bit at the vanguard, well, you have to keep up with those trends and make sure you're adapting all the time and being interested enough to not get stuck in what you believe might be the really good thing, but to follow and adapt. And, you know, um, you've just perfected a whole lot of things, but then your repertoire has to expand to include a whole lot of new directions as well. And so there's constant learning going on. Um, but that's great. That's really good. Um, but naming dishes, I can't really. I don't. I don't really remember. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I mean, they were, yeah, they, they were contemporary. Whatever was around at that time, I guess. Yeah. You also had um, Celsius um, for a period of time, and and Est is obviously one that's you've had for 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 many many years with the Maryvale Group. Well, tell us about that switch and that period of time and the move that you made. Yeah. Um, well, when at, at Cicada, um, we had partners to go into that business and um, they were getting a little bit older and uh, they'd actually bought the freehold of that building and they wanted to um, sort of um, just settle everything up and sell the building. 
So then um, an opportunity came up um, at the Radisson to move to Celsius. So we thought, okay, well, let's do that. Um, sounds good. Um, and that was okay, a nice tight little business for three years. And we were just about to sign a new lease and Mr. John from Maryvale rang up and Justin and said, why don't you come and have a talk? And I said, oh, well, no, not really. But anyway, they got, we got, they rang a, they rang a week later. And so I went over and we talked about, talked things through and um, what their idea was because they had, um, Est um, had been open for about three years nearly, I think. And um, it hadn't been going, setting the world on fire, so to speak. So, and I just thought, well, but, you know, we sat down with Beverly and um, just thought, okay, well, let's give this a go and, um, you know, uh, see how we go. So it was, it was just good timing, basically. And, and then considering that it was a, an opportunity, we thought, okay, let's go. And um, we're really glad we did, really, because it turned out really well. Well, you won a string of accolades, um, three hats. And at the same time, your brother Greg also had three hats over in Rose Bay as well. What was it like having um, brother uh, in the family as a renowned chef and you as well? Was there... Um, was there ever sibling rivalry? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, no, I mean, it's funny. We just, when we first started out, we always thought maybe we'd probably do something together, but then you just, your career paths go in different directions. And um, so there was never any rivalry, you know. I mean, we communicated really well. We still communicate well. And so um, we just got on and did our own things, basically. I mean, he, he, he had establishments that went in one direction and um, different ones, and then I had, you know, and then you just, I mean, you, you, to tell you the truth, you're, you're so involved in trying to uh, just get your restaurants up and running and working every day that you're not worried about too much else. <laughs> but. Well, Est, uh, as we just mentioned, won many accolades. Tell us what it takes to create a restaurant to get to that level and maintain it. Um, well, a little bit of dedication, I guess. But um, I mean, the beautiful thing about Est um, when it was when we went over there, it was a beautiful dining room, um, and the space was amazing. And at Celsius, at uh, Celsius, the space wasn't all that riveting, so to speak, and it was uh, attached to a hotel. So this was a whole new um, world, really, to walk into a, a building-like establishment, and especially on the first floor at S there. So the opportunity sort of presented itself. Um, the kitchen wasn't all that fantastic, but we worked our way around that, and then um, just got down. And we'd already had really good systems um, at Celsius, and um, so we introduced those to Est. And so the service was really good. We wanted a particular type of service, like really professional but really friendly and engaging at the same time. And um, the opportunities provided by John and Justin were really good. And so it was just a combination of the right ingredients, basically. Um, yeah, and that allowed us to perform and carry on from there. You've had uh, some incredible chefs come through your kitchens, Carl Furler, Jordan Toff, Josh Nyland, Adam Wolfers. There's been so many. Tell us about how you run your kitchen and um, why you think so many great chefs have come from your kitchens. Um, yeah, well, I mean, if you're, at the, if you're at the forefront of any industry, people are probably um, attracted to working with you. Um, that go, that's a given, I guess, um, because... You know, they, they want to learn from 
perceived best uh, people, I guess. So that that helps. Um, so you tend to get you you have a little a bit of an advantage in attracting those people who are already talented. But in a kitchen, you spend a lot, uh, many many hours a week together, um, and it's you know a sort of pressurised. Um, atmosphere a lot of the time and you're working hard and so you've got to I always tried to keep a light-hearted um, atmosphere in the kitchen as much as you uh, have to be totally focused and you know you're demanding that you're working hard and you're focused and all those kind of things but you've got to keep it a little bit light-hearted as well and then also that works if you um, if you do it right you're trying to build a team Every, like this is all cliched but it's also true but then when you've got those people like you've, you've uh, the, the um, people you mentioned just a minute ago, when they're coming through your kitchen, you have to give them the opportunity to express themselves as well. So it's not all just about you. Um, otherwise, they'll be disenchanted and um, they'll leave. So you, you have to give them little openings to, uh, okay, well, you can you know come up with a dish and if we, we'll go over it and we'll try it out and... Um, if it sort of suits the restaurant, I mean, you know, Esther's a particular type of restaurant, so you can't be doing Mexican food dish in there because it's not going to work. So you have to sort of fit to the, you know, the formula, so to speak. But if you're um, interested, certainly go ahead, bring it up, and then we'll work for it. And then uh, if it's good, we'll stick it on the menu. And that way you're encouraging them and you're developing them and you're sort of uh, mentoring them as well. And hopefully there's a bit of a 50-50 feedback each way and they're giving and you're receiving and so it all works out well you've seen australian cuisine evolve and you've been an integral part of that as well over the last couple of decades how do you how do you see australian cuisine now compared to back then when you started off oh so mate, i mean it's evolved so much i mean the things um that the young young chefs, innovative chefs, are doing today are light years away from what we were doing. I mean, at the time we were we were doing great things <laughs> because it was all new and it was all that type of thing. But I mean, cooking has evolved so far, so much further than. Um, I mean, just take Josh Nyland for instance. Um, he he's sort of gone like he was always um, a talented chef, and he's but he's gone on to. Um, almost do a whole new form today but it's all based in really solid technique and really good tastes and it's you know it's coming from the right i don't know point in cooking so to speak but it's ever it's revolutionary at the same time so if you can achieve that well um you know you're way in front and that's how you perpetuate your um, restaurant or your career because um you know you've, you've still you've got to put it up day in day out day in day out that's the hard part Many are drawn to the energy and camaraderie of the hospitality industry. You retired a couple of years ago. What was that like initially for you, um, stepping away from the, the kitchen? Um, no, I was fine. I was ready probably at the time. Um, well, I was definitely ready. So. <laughs> um, so, And I've always had outside interests, like I go surfing as often as I can, and um, I, I'm interested in a lot of sports and I'm interested in reading um, as much as I can and so I have outside interests which I think is really really important because um, a lot of young chefs just get caught up in uh, working hard all the time and then partying and uh, forgetting that they uh, you know you still want to live till you're a bit of a ripe old age if you can <laughs> so it's yeah so I found it quite easy um, you know you just wake up in the morning and it's a beautiful sunny day so you go for a surf and uh, then you come home and the days just fly there's always something to do 
you're not uh, completely retired. You do have a role with Maryvale with a chef apprentice school. Can you tell us about the uh, the program and what your involvement is? Yep. Um, well, when I retired, um, Frank Roberts, who sort of heads up all the restaurants at Maryvale, um, said, how about um, we start up an apprenticeship school for Maryvale apprentices and you run that. So um, off he sent me to do my uh, Cert 4 or whatever it is, <laughs> get my teaching qualifications. Thanks very much, Frank. But anyway. <laughs> and then I had to um, design the course. And so uh, there is a, a government curriculum that you have to tick all the boxes in. Um, so we did that. I did that and come up with some, but probably came up with a little bit more contemporary restaurant uh, recipes um, within the course. And so I look after the um, um, practical classes each each week and then Alara uh, trading, I mean, yeah, whatever you call it. Uh, Alara look after the theory component and together we um, do the course. So, and it's been really interesting. I mean, it's... Um, it's a way of it, – it's really interesting from my point of view because it takes you back to the very beginning of your cooking um, career and you, when you're so involved in those first 10 years of your career, you absorb it all and you never forget it, that's for sure. It stays with you and all those basic techniques that you um, repeated and perfected as such, um, you, you still have those skills. And because I was always a hand-on chef anyway, I never sort of um, – I didn't drift away from the kitchen, um, so to speak, so I was still doing, um, you know, all those techniques and practices every day. So I just find it pretty easy to continue doing that. Australia's uh, culinary landscape has changed so much over the last three decades. How different is um, the techniques and the apprenticeship um, sort of program that you were involved in way back in the 70s compared to um, now and the, and the program you're delivering? Um, in many ways, I mean, technique and, I um, mean, as I said, cuisine has evolved so much in the last three or four decades. But having said that, um, the basics and the foundations of cooking are what necessary for you to launch into the uh, more advanced techniques. And so we're, I mean, the basics back then were pretty much the same as the basics are now, um, but everyone's just better at them and um, they're more refined now, I guess. So, I mean, you still have to teach the apprentices what I was learning in a way at TAFE, but um, you can make it a lot more exciting these days. And I think everyone, uh, I mean, everyone around the world basically is a lot more aware of what cuisine means these days. So um, even though the basics are the same, they're evolved as well. You mentioned how um, back in the early 80s and late 70s that you and a bunch of other chefs sort of got heavily involved in uh, making produce um, better in Australia and creating connections. Tell us about how you see produce now and um, some of the, the amazing products you've seen blossom in Australia. Well, going from from zero to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to what's around now is pretty. I mean, what can I say? The the most amazing transformation basically is like if um, you know. We had all the ingredients here, but no one was growing them. And the, I mean, it must reflecting back, it must have been so hard for all the immigrants that, like the uh, the French and the Greeks and the Italians and the Maltese and all those other, like this is pre-Asian even immigrants, um, when they landed here to find out that there was no produce to work with, all the, you know, all the cuisine they were working with, like pretty basic. And so, 
all the seafood was here, but I mean, I spent half my life, uh, half my apprenticeship skinning and filleting frozen sole that had been imported from Europe for whatever reason, um, as opposed to using beautiful John Dory and all the local fish. It was just crazy. Um, and that applied across the board, especially in fruit and vegetables. And I mean, now, like, meat has come so far, and, um, you know, the quotas on the fish is really good in a lot of ways um, because at least it's sustainable. And the fruit and vegetable scene, as I said, we had to grow our own herbs. I mean, there was iceberg lettuce and that was it. It was all really basic, so it's it's just crazy how it's evolved. And as I, what I was going to say is, like, once upon a time, um, you'd get these ingredients and then, it, it, you know, it was such a small amount. But now all these new trends, I mean, if it, if something new comes up, it's in the supermarkets three or six months later. It's incredible how, how rapidly everyone adapts and everyone's aware of it and everyone goes into the greengrocer or whatever or the butcher and asks for those cuts or those, you know, pieces that they want to use and then everyone's aware of it and everyone has to source it and off it goes. For someone who's so respected by the chefing fraternity and had such an incredible career, what, what advice would you give for young chefs uh, coming into the industry to really make a fist of it and make a career of hospitality? You just need to um, focus, basically. Have a sen- like a, a really important thing is to have a sense of urgency and um, some energy and realise that um, you have to do things quickly. And so you have to be a little bit uh, physically uh, fit to do all those type of things. But on top of that, it's also um, developing your palate and uh, training your palate and trying to taste as many things as you can and working out and trying to understand why ingredients go together and complement and enhance each other. And then just repetition of, like, Cooking is all about repetition, and repetition lets you um, develop your skills. I mean, you can't, you, you, the first time you make puff pastry, it's not going to be the world's best puff pastry, you can be sure. So you've just got to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it until you get familiar with it. So you've got to be um, prepared to put in all that work, and then, um, you know, then refinement will come into your cooking and your skills, and then you can bounce on from there. Well, it's amazing advice. Um... And it's been amazing to have you on Deep in the Weeds today, Peter, to hear a little bit of your story. It's an honour to have you on the show and um, good luck with the continued surfing and also um, with a new program that you're doing uh, at Maryvale. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Okay. Thanks, Anthony. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.